0: Friends, Pastor Kelsey Exline here with Spark United, a church without walls for real people with real questions. We are a network of house churches called Sparks that meet wherever the people are, and we come together regularly for worship and mission as one church, Spark United. I didn't tell you guys this, but I hope you're prepared for a quiz today. You guys have been studying up on, on economics. We're doing a series called Ballin'. Uh, which I've been told means like living the high life. You, you're, you're having a ball all the time because you got so much cash, right? Uh, just want to clarify, because some people don't know what balling means. It also could mean you're a really good sports player too. Uh, so, you know, by worldly standards, I'm neither. <laughs> so maybe I'm not qualified to talk about balling, but we're talking about balling from a biblical standpoint. And so uh, we're doing balling the first order to living rich. And, uh, you know, have you guys heard about Why Americans Don't Have Elephants. You guys heard about that? In a news story the other day about it. You didn't see it? Sarah, did you see it? No? No? Well, they say that Americans don't have elephants for one reason. The only reason that many Americans don't have an elephant is that they have never been offered an elephant for a dollar down in easy weekly payments. That was a setup. That was not on the news. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. It was a little cheesy. Uh, so we got a little money quiz for you guys, and you can just kind of keep track on your fingers how many you get right. I'll be curious to see who is our our winner, okay? First question. The average student loan per person, per student, is, so debt, student debt, $21,505, $76,468, or $157,028. Three, two, one. You got it picked out. Seventy-six thousand four hundred sixty-eight dollars. So, if you got that right, keep track on your phalanges. Okay, next one is a fancy word for toes and fingers. All right, the next one. Kansas, Kansas spend blank per year dining out. A two thousand one hundred sixty-seven dollars. B four hundred eighty-five. C one thousand two hundred and three dollars. Three, two. Fun. Let's see if you guys got it right. $2,167. Alright. Next one. The average American spends approximately blank a year on coffee. Eleven hundred dollars is A. B, three thousand twenty-eight. C five hundred and seventy-two. Remember, this is the average American, not pastors, okay? <laughs> we probably up <upped> the average. <laughs> I hope I don't spend that much money a year on coffee, but I don't know. That's that's one area I'm trying to kick back on. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Eleven hundred dollars a year. I'm trying to you know cut back on my coffee habit because I could be saving more money. Here's the next one. In Kansas City, Missouri. People spend blank per year on alcohol. $921.08. $281.93. $1,419.34. $1,419.34. You guys ready? Yep. $1,419.34. They drink an average of 5.5 drinks per week. And so that's how much per year, which you think about 10 years, that's like the, the cost of a, a car, right? A Hyundai. Brand new Hyundai there. 14000 $15,000. You get a Sonata for that, okay? <laughs> Lesson is... You could stop drinking alcohol and buy a car after 10 years. <laughs> Just don't spend that money on coffee. <laughs> All right, the next one. In Kansas, how much would a daily pack of cigarettes cost per year? A, seven ninety four twenty. dollars B, $1,039.02? Or C, $2,620.70? Three, two, one. C, $2,620.70. All right, next one. On average, each household with a credit card carries blank in credit card debt. A, $18,201. B, $2,103. C, $8,398. Three, two, one. $8,398 is the answer. Next one. Total U.S. consumer debt is. You think about all the debt that people owe in the United States. Is it 5.2 trillion, 13.86 trillion, or 930 billion? Three, two, one. 13.86 trillion. The national total national debt is 22.7 trillion. So we're not far behind the government. In our debt as an American people. All right, here's the next one. Let's get into tax fraud. This could get interesting. Tax fraud costs the government an estimated blank annually. A two hundred eighty-five billion dollars. B four hundred fifty billion. Or C nine hundred thirty-one million. Three, two, one. Four hundred fifty billion. Which I did the math, and if no one committed tax fraud. We could pay off our national debt in 51 years, guys. So let's all get on the same page. Let's pay our taxes. We'll be out of debt by the time we're retired. Well, by the time we're in the nursing home, some of us. (laughs) Yeah, by the time we're in our graves, uh, in 51 years, I'll be in my 80s. So I'll get to enjoy a little bit of debt-free living before I hit the grave, too. All right, next one. About blank percent of American citizens say it's okay to cheat. On income taxes. A, 2%, B, 85%, or C, 10%. <laughs> Could you imagine 85% of Americans cheated on their tax? That's awful. All right. <laughs> All right, three, two, one. 10%, 10% of Americans think that it's okay. The next one blank percent of an average congregation tithes. Tithing is giving our first 10% of what we make for income to the Lord for his ministry. A is 30 to 40%. B is 65 to 80%. Or C, 10 to 25%. Three, two, one. C, only 10 to 25% of the, the average congregation tithes. All right, next one. Christians are giving blank percent of their income now. During the Great Depression, it was blank percent. So was it 8.5% it 8, 8. now, 2.3% in the Great Depression? 5.2% now and 1.9% back then? Or 2.5% now, 3.3% in the Great Depression? Three, two, one. Yeah, people gave a greater percentage of their income in the Great Depression, guys, than they do on average now. All right. Blank out of 10 people who give to their churches have zero credit debt. A, 3 out of 10. B, 8 out of 10. Or C, 6 out of 10. 3, 2, 1. 8 out of 10 people who give to their churches have zero credit debt all right who who got the most right how many did you get michael oh you lost count seven eight all right there were 12 questions it's like a a close tie it nick might have beaten you by one maybe So today we're, oh, well in that case, and you, you probably were our winner then, or maybe it was a tie. So either way, good job guys. I'm really bad at writing false answers, aren't I? <laughs> well, well now, now you know, right? You're a good guesser. Alright, today's passage, our, our key passage, is going to be Matthew 22:15 through 22. So you're welcome to follow along on the screen, Rusty, if you'll do the scriptures on me for the screen. Um, or if you've got a, a Bible on your phone or a physical Bible with you, feel free to jump right in. We're going to Matthew 22. All right. I think this one, yeah, this isn't, oh, question about taxes. Here we go. 22, 18 or 15. Okay. Then the Pharisees met together to find a way to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to him. Teacher, they said, we know that you are genuine and that you teach God's way as it really is. We know that you are not swayed by people's opinions because you don't show favoritism. So tell us what you think. Does the law allow people to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Knowing their evil motives, Jesus replied, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used to pay the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked. Caesar's, they replied. Then he said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. When they heard this, they were astonished, and they departed. So, these Pharisees are trying to outwit Jesus. And uh, he ends up putting the question back on them in his answer. And they, 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 they want to try to trip him up because if he says, yeah, you're supposed to pay your taxes, then the Jewish zealots who did not believe that Rome should be over them were going to attack him and say, hey, you're supporting Rome. You should be supporting Israel. Uh, but then if he would have said, no, don't pay your taxes, then he would have been in a catch-22 because then the Roman government would be on him and he'd be probably... Killed right away for saying to not obey caesar and so jesus has a beautiful answer for these guys that just want to see jesus dead to see jesus uh, made made a fool of uh, he says well whose whose picture is on that piece of money that you're holding right there that caesar wants uh, caesar's picture he's like we well, give to caesar what belongs to caesar and to god what belongs to god well guess what whose image is on you God's image is on you. You are made in the image of God. His image is all over you. You belong to God. And so you don't belong to Caesar or to Washington. You belong to God. But give to Caesar what Caesar, you know, what he's claimed for himself, that little piece of metal. But you, your life, your very life belongs to God. There, there's no due. We're talking about paying our dues, right? There is no due that trumps this one the due of your life to God. He loves you and he gave his life so that you could live yours and so that you could have eternal life with him. And so nothing, no obligation that you could have to anything, anyone else is above your obligation to God because you are made in his image. He, is, he has stamped his image on you and he loves you. At the same time, you are not defined by your wealth. And you're not defined by your debt either. I don't know uh, if you've ever been in a lot of debt, but I imagine it would feel sometimes like all-consuming. Um, I, I hate being in debt. When I am in debt, it just I just want to work, work, work until I can get it off my shoulders because it just feels like a weight, right? But you are not defined by your debt. You are, you are not defined by the, uh, the amount of your assets in your life. You're not defined by your net or your gross income. Uh, God's image is on you, and that's what you are defined by, and that is where your value is. At the same time, we also remember that other people are not defined by their wealth or their debt. In James, James chapter 2, he writes to this church and he says, Don't show favoritism to the wealthy people. Suppose a poor person comes in and a rich person comes in and you see the rich person, you offer them the best seat at your gathering and you see the poor person, you're like, here, go stand in that corner or here, come sit on the floor. So that's unacceptable. God doesn't show favoritism and neither should you, but love your neighbor. And so we remember our do number one is that you and I are, are made in God's image and every person that we encounter is made in God's image and should be loved by us and we should never judge ourselves, and we should never judge another person because of what they have or don't have, because we are all made in God's image. The second thing, so we've established the base. Your, your do number one is yourself, okay, to God. Do number two, we're going to talk about tithing. In Malachi 3.10, Uh, God gives us a promise. And it's one of the few times where the Lord actually tells us to test him. Normally it's not a good thing to test the Lord. Um, But here he says, bring the whole 10th part to the storage house so there might be food in my house. Please test me in this, says the Lord of heavenly forces. See whether I do not open all the windows of the heavens for you and empty out a blessing until there is enough. God's saying, test me in this. (laughs) Bring bring your first ten percent. Uh, he says, bring it to the storehouse. So uh, in, in the the law, and, and when God was teaching Israel how to be His people, He He appointed priests uh, to do the ministry, and people were to come and to offer sacrifices to Him. And that was instead of money as much, they gave of their their first animals and their first crops. And and part of what they you know gave and brought and sacrificed was actually used to feed the priests. So it's about uh, supplying for the whole community as well as God's workers, as well as honoring God first and foremost. It's about honoring and worshiping God, um, but it's not just a practical thing either. There's something that happens in our hearts when we let go of that first ten percent and give it to God. It's an it's an act of trust, right? It's an act of worship, saying, "I'm not going to cling to this." Because think about it. Think think if you're like a a person who's a, a farmer or a rancher, right? and you have your, your first little calfling, or you, you have your first you know, crop come in, your very natural response is going to be to hold on to that just in case there's not enough later, right? I, I, I better hold on to this, <laughs> this little calf, and we'll give God, you know, the, the extra ones that come later, but at least I'll know I'll have what I need if I hold on to this. Well, God says, no, I want you to give me the first one, trusting that I'm going to provide for you exactly what you need more than what you need. Uh, I want you to give me the, your first crops, trusting that I'll bring more on the way, and I'm going to supply the rain, and I'm going to make them grow. So it's, it's a, both an act of worship, but it's also an act of trust. We also see in Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first of all your crops. And so, biblically speaking, uh, the Bible doesn't just tell us to give to God, but he tells us to give the first, and that can be scary, but God says, test me in this, and see, see what I'm going to do, I'm going to open up the heavens for you, I'm going to pour out blessings until you have enough, and uh, I know in my life, uh, I, I've always tithe, and there's been times where <laughs> it's been tempting not to tithe, because I'm like, I'm not making enough money, and I need to save back, but I know that God's going to take care of me, and so I, I tithe, and I tithe consistently, And when things happen, like, I was doing inner city ministry in Oklahoma City, and I wasn't making much, uh, but the Lord would provide. And I I don't know if I needed shoes, or something happened um, where it cost me extra money, and I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to get this money. Well, my church family in Clearwater, Kansas, uh, one person, one family from there, sent me a check for the exact amount that I needed. I hadn't told anyone. They didn't know. But God moved them (laughs) to supply my need. And I, I believe that God... God wants to do that, and, and often he's waiting for us to trust him, and he wants, he wants to show you that he is trustworthy. The other thing, too, is giving without stipulation. So sometimes, like, when we when we give money, we want to be like, well, I really like the kids' ministry, so I want to pour my money into the kids' ministry, or, oh, I, I really like this event. This event is important to me, so I want to pour money into this specific event and and there is a place uh, for giving to specific things we call that designated giving or we designate where we'd like it to go to but i believe biblically speaking when, when we talk about storehouse giving bringing in the tithe to the storehouse this is an undesignated unstipulated giving so that 10 percent that we give we give it with no requirements to it it's just a pure offering a pure gift uh, i'm not saying where it should go I'm trusting that God's going to lead the church family and the ministry to use that money for the building of his kingdom. I'm not going to tell them where to put it. But beyond my 10%, I can say, well, I'd like to give a little extra to the youth group. Or I'd like to give, you know, a little little extra um, to, you know, to our movie night that we're doing an outreach or that kind of thing. Uh, Douglas LeBlanc, LeBlanc, I don't know if that's how he says his name. He wrote a book called Tithing. Test me in this. And he says... How I donate money expresses power. If I carve my tithe into slices of my own liking, I tighten my grip on power and mammon, that's the love of money, tightens its grip on me. I am better aware of the ever-deepening joy found in God's generosity when I surrender control of the first 10% to the community that welcomes me a Wretched sinner, week after week and challenges me to become something more. We also have some advice from a famous pastor called Andy Stanley, and he wrote a book called How to Be Rich, and we talked a little bit about it last week. But he gives us three Ps to prevent affluenza. Affluenza is the the sickness of heart that can happen when we get too much. The more money we get, sometimes the more stingy we become, and the more greedy we become, and we don't want to give, and we, we begin to trust in money more than we trust in God. That's what he calls affluenza. And he says there's three Ps that you can remember to help you to kind of vaccinate yourself from uh, getting this this sickness of heart. The first one is priority giving. Priority. We want to make generosity a priority, regardless of how rich or poor we are. So that means I don't I don't wait till I make a certain amount of money to give my ten percent. If I make five bucks, I'm going to give my fifty cents. If I make five hundred bucks, I'm going to give my fifty dollars. And it's kind of a crazy thing because the more you make, sometimes it feels like ten percent feels like more, if that makes sense. Um, but he says that if we make giving a priority, it helps us remember, no matter how much we have, it, it helps us remember whose we are and that we're not defined by the money. And our hope isn't in money. Our hope is in the one who richly provides for us. And so if we can learn to give when we've got nothing, if we can learn to give when we have a lot, we're going to keep that, that value of generosity in our life through it all. The second thing is percentage giving Uh, basing basically what you give you don't necessarily decide on a certain dollar amount but you decide on a percentage whether it's three percent of your income or five or ten or fifteen or twenty that helps us guard against the side effects of money too of affluenza Uh, like i said earlier sometimes like the more money you make it's almost tempting to not give a full ten percent because if i make five bucks i just give 50 cents right but if i make five thousand dollars I'm giving 500, and I begin to think, oh, maybe I I don't need to give God that much. Maybe 300 is enough. It was enough back then. And he says, money, the more we have, (laughs) it can often get a hold of our lives. And so if we commit to give a percentage, then we're we're trusting God. It guards against the side effects of wealth. And it makes sure that you're in control of your money and that your money isn't controlling you the last thing that Andy Stanley suggests is progressive giving, which is basically as your financial situation progresses, progress your percentage with it. So you got a great raise at work, right? Well, maybe if you were giving 5% before, try giving 7% and, and trust God with it because he's, he's providing for you what you need. Uh, and so as, as you go through life, or maybe, maybe your financial situation stays the same, but you've just gotten really comfortable given that, that 10%, and maybe it's time to get out of your comfort zone and to trust in God some more and to give 11%, um, or maybe, maybe to, to give extra to a, a certain ministry. I don't, I don't know. The Lord will lead you in what to give. I encourage you, though, uh, whatever you're giving, once it starts to feel comfortable, take it to the next level. Give yourself a little nudge. Uh, I tell you, God loves it when we're outside of our comfort zones because in our weakness, he shows his strength. And when we trust him and we give to him, he loves to to bless us and and to take care of us. I'm not saying you're going to become rich because you tithe, but God will take care of you. Uh, So I encourage you. we got priority giving, percentage giving, progressive giving. I thought that was a a really good um, insight of Andy Stanley's, and it caused me to think about, what I'm giving and, and what does it look like for me to nudge myself to the next level too um, 10% that might seem overwhelming to you right now and I do encourage 10% as a, as a goal as a baseline kind of goal because that's what scripture says but if you feel like man I'm not ready for 10% try 5% or 3% pick a percent start there and then start kind of nudging it up nudging up whatever that might be okay the next thing we've talked about you belong to God that's your first due your second due is tithe your third due is taxes (laughs) give to Caesar what is Caesar's right (laughs) give to Washington what belongs to Washington his face is on that quarter Uh, ultimately because you belong to God you're made in his image that's where your allegiance lies his image is on you God's image is on you the money that we have doesn't define us and so, while not all of us enjoy taxes, we, we can give and we should give uh, what is required of us by law. Romans 13, one through 6 has some really practical advice Paul gives on taxes and, and on governmental authority. And how do we relate with the government anyways? This could be a whole message in itself. Every person should place themselves under the authority of the government. There isn't any authority unless it comes from God. And the authorities that are there have been put in place by God. So anyone who opposes the authority is standing against what God has established. People who take this kind of stand will get punished. The authorities don't frighten people who are doing the right thing. Rather, they frighten people who are doing wrong. Would you rather not be afraid of authority? Do what's right, and you will receive its approval. It is God's servant given for your benefit. But if you do what's wrong, be afraid, because it doesn't have weapons to enforce the law for nothing. It is God's servant put in place to carry out his punishment on those who do what is wrong. That is why it is necessary to place yourself under the government's authority, not only to avoid God's punishment, but also for the sake of your conscience. You should also pay taxes for the same reason, because the authorities are God's assistants concerned with this very thing. What a revolutionary idea that the government is actually in place to bless us and to protect us. Uh, Really, the government's in place to protect us. That's the bare minimum definition of a government. And so we benefit from the government. And Paul's saying you benefit from them. God is working through the government. Pay your taxes. That's your due as a citizen. Honor the governing authority. But here's the exception, guys. Because remember, your first due is to God. If the government ever tries to usurp God's role in your life, if the government ever commands you to do something that is against the will of God, you belong to God first. You do not belong to the government. We honor the government as citizens of Christ's kingdom. We are good American citizens because we love Jesus and we love our neighbors, but we're first and foremost citizens of Christ's kingdom. Secondly, we're American citizens and we want to bless our nation by the way we conduct ourselves by the way we love one another last thing last paying dues is debt Uh, debt can be a form of bondage uh, and it can also keep us from being able to be generous we feel like we can't be generous when we've got a debt hanging over our head Uh, but the key point that the bible gives us is it says pay your debts and free yourself of all obligation but love Proverbs 22.7 says, The wealthy rule over the poor. A borrower is a slave to a lender. It's not saying that's how it should be. It's just saying these are the facts of life. You get into debt, you're basically enslaved to the one who lent to you. Romans 13. So, passage we just read about the government. Paul continues. and He says, So pay everyone what you owe them. Pay the taxes you owe. Pay the duties you are charged. Give respect to those you should respect and honor those you should honor. Don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. Whoever loves another person has fulfilled the law. So, Paul's saying, don't, don't get yourself you know, wrapped up in a situation where you are in financial obligation to someone because that's a credit place to be. And you want to you wanna be in a place in your life where you're free. You're free in Christ, and you're, you're free financially, and the only obligation you have to other people is to love them. But, but you're taking care of yourself, and you're taking care of yourself in such a way that you can also be generous and help others out. And so Dave Ramsey is another uh, famous a Christian fellow who has written a lot about financial advice. And so I'm just going to give a little bit of his financial advice because I think debt is something that most, if not all of us, deal with, whether it's student loans or whether it's a payday loan, or whether it's a mortgage, or uh, credit cards, whatever. We, we took that quiz earlier. Debt is a major thing in America, right? And so let's talk about some practical steps to getting out, okay? Because remember, you are not defined by your debt in your life, your joy. <laughs> it's, not, it's not set by, by your debt. It's not robbed by your debt. You can have joy in Christ, and you have value in Christ, regardless of, the money tag that's beside your name in the bank, okay? Here's the first advice, is quit borrowing and make a budget. Whatever you do, do your best to not further your debt. Um, whatever, whatever that means, whether it's quitting a habit, whether it's coffee or alcohol or smoking or uh, Hulu or I don't know, things that are unnecessary that we buy, uh, but quit borrowing and figure out how much money you make and what you absolutely need to live on and give give a roll for every dollar that you have if the dollar doesn't have a roll save it step number two save a $1,000 emergency fund because life happens right Uh, your your front wheel bearing goes out Uh, (laughs) maybe your whole engine (laughs) your whole car (laughs) right Uh, you your AC goes bad or your your landlord increases rent I don't know but life happens yeah, you got you get an accident or you get sick and you got to go to the doctor. Life happens. And so it's great to have $1,000 set aside for when life happens so that you don't have to borrow money to deal with life. So that's your, your first goal is well, first goal is to quit borrowing, make a budget. Second goal, start putting money away to that $1,000 emergency fund. And then number three, strategically pay off your credit cards and loans. Uh, there's three ways um, that I, I can think of strategies. Uh, One is the snowball method, which is what Dave Ramsey suggests. And he suggests um, paying off your smallest debt first. So, like, let's say there's $50 on this credit card and there's $1,000 on that. Pay off the $50 credit card first. And then work your way to the biggest credit card or the biggest debt. But be making minimum payments on all your credit cards. So don't, don't let minimum payments slide. You do all your minimum payments and then anything extra start paying off that smallest debt and then move your way up financially speaking this method doesn't really make sense because of interest and the bigger the principal you owe the more interest you're going to be paying right so it would make more sense to pay off the bigger loans but the reason why this is so good is because it it's an incentive it motivates you you see like ah, i'm free of that credit card that small one you know and, and you start to feel like, "I can do this, I can do this and so psychologically, the snowball method is great. Take care of the little stuff, work your way up. The next one is the avalanche method, which is you work with the biggest debt and you work your way to the smallest debt while making all your minimum payments. okay uh, This one makes a little bit more sense because you're you're dealing with the debt that's cost costing you the most in interest, right, and then you're working way to the smaller one. Uh, the last one I think probably makes the most sense, but you might not see as much immediate payoff, and so it might not be as motivating as the snowball method. And that's just an interest method. Find the thing that's costing you an arm and a leg in interest. Uh, you know, your mortgage is going to have really low interest. Um, your car loan might have decent interest, but that credit card, man, like 20, 20% interest, you're, you're paying out the wazoo trying to keep up with the interest, much less the principal, right? And so I personally would want to pay off my debts that are costing me the most interest and then work my way to the ones that are the least interest. Of course, all the while, making all your minimum payments, okay? So that's, those are three methods. Um, Psalms 3721, it says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Part of getting out of debt is freeing yourself so you can be generous and helping other people out. So you can be a freed man, a freed woman and not have this sitting on your shoulders okay <laughs> so um, debt is our, our our last due pay your debts for yourself of all obligation but love and if if you're having a hard time with finances right now and if you're struggling to figure out a budget um, or f- to figure out how am I how am I gonna pay this uh, I'm not a financial advisor but I would be happy to to listen to you and if I have advice to give, uh, or I, may, I could help you find someone who's more studied in that and who could give you great advice too. But uh, I encourage you to, to be a freed person and, and to, to get that debt monkey off your back. So paying our dues. You belong to God. Take care of your tithe. Tithe no matter how much you owe, no matter how much you're in debt, no matter how much you make or don't make. Tithe on whatever, you come in, whatever comes into you. Give God 10% because he's going to bless that. Don't wait until you're out of debt to tithe. Don't wait until you've paid your taxes to tithe. Personally, my personal conviction is I want God to get the first 10% before the government gets their 30 So I tithe on my gross income instead of my net income because to me, God is my first, my first allegiance, my first love, and I want him to get the first 10%. If I, if I tithe on my net income, the government would get the first 30%, and then I'd be giving God 10% of what's left. My personal conviction how the spirit leads me is to to give that 10 percent before taxes are taken out the lord will lead you in what to give ask him ask him lord what would please you on uh, what amount what percentage uh because this isn't this isn't about just a responsibility and tithing it's it's about loving god and worshiping worshiping him and trusting him with our money and what god has called me to might be a little different what he's called you to um his holy spirit moves and and calls us to do different things and so i encourage you to ask him directly lord what would please you the last thing this isn't a do but this is these are two things that could prevent you from paying your dues prevent me from paying my dues is luxury and laziness luxury and laziness are foes of freedom uh aesop's fables they've got a an old story I don't even know how far back the story goes, but it's the story of a mouse. And this mouse was really, really hungry and starving, and he finds this basket of corn, and there's, uh, there's like little, you know, spaces between the way the, the basket's weaved. And so the, the, mice, the mouse struggles really hard, and he finds his way in, and he eats corn to his heart's content. And he eats, and he eats, and he gorges himself, and he becomes three times bigger than he was before he got into the, the basket. And uh, as, he, as he's sitting there fat and happy, he realizes, I am trapped in this basket. I could fit in when I got in, but now I'm three times bigger. I can't get out. And a weasel comes by, and he sees the mouse, and he says, you foolish mouse. He said, you're going to you're gonna have to starve until you're back to the size you were before uh, to be able to get out of this trap you've made for yourself. That's what debt can be, and that's what luxury and laziness can lead to us. Uh, lead us to Proverbs thirteen seven says some pretend to be rich but have nothing while others pretend to be poor but have great riches so living like we're rich when we don't have money or we can live like a poor person and have money right uh, which one do you think is better I think about that mouse uh, he didn't think about what he would need to get out of that, that basket he was just thinking about gorging himself in there and, and sometimes luxury can do that sometimes We want to uh, live a certain way, and we spend money we don't have, and then we've got to live in a poor way to get back to to where we were before we fell into that temptation of luxury. Proverbs 21.17 says, those who love pleasure end up poor. Lovers of wine and oil won't get rich. I could rephrase that to lovers of Starbucks and Panda Express won't get rich. (laughs) Pie five pizza. Uh, you, You could you can uh, put your vice or your your temptation your luxury in there Um, lovers of new cars and I don't know diamonds or whatever it is that you're tempted to spend money on but you really don't need if you're living for pleasure for luxury well you're going to pay the price for that Proverbs 6 7 through 11 when we're talking about laziness says the ant has no commander officer or ruler even so it gets its food in summer gathers its provisions at harvest. How long, lazy person, will you lie down? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to lie down, and poverty will come on you like a prowler, destitution like a warrior. So, luxury and laziness. Luxury causes us to spend money we don't have because we want pleasure. Laziness is where we just won't get out of bed and we're not going to do the work that we need to support ourselves, right? Right? Uh, the Bible tells us, work, work hard. Don't make work your life. You know, take, take your Sabbath rest, but, but work and provide for yourself. God will provide for you through your work. And don't spend money you don't have and don't live for pleasure, but save money and be generous to others. Laziness makes me think of the, the seven deadly s- sins, and one of those seven deadly sins is the sin of sloth. Not that the animal itself is sinful, think god made sloths and he loves them too but this the sin of of laziness and we can also see it in a spirit of reluctance where we just don't we just don't want to oh, do i have to i don't feel like it uh this, the spirit of reluctance was it isn't just a spirit of reluctance it can be a spirit of disobedience too uh and, and jesus warns against this and this isn't just about money it's not just about not being lazy so you can make money, but it's about following God and not being lazy and following him. In Luke 14, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, whoever comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, spouse and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Tell you what, you're not lazy if you're carrying a cross, right? If one of you wanted to build a tower wouldn't you first sit down and calculate the cost to determine whether you have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when you have laid the foundation but couldn't finish the tower, all who see it will begin to belittle you. They will say, here's the person who began construction and couldn't complete it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down to consider whether his 10,000 soldiers could go up against the 20,000 coming against him? And if he didn't think he could win... He would send a representative to discuss terms of peace while his enemy was still a long way off. In the same way, none of you who are unwilling to give up all of your possessions can be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will it become salty again? It has no value, neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. People throw it away. Whoever has ears to hear should pay attention. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me... You got to be all in you got to count the cost and make sure that you can you can pay that cost uh not literally financially speaking because he says you got to give your whole life to follow me it's not just about giving a certain amount but everything you have belongs to me when you, you follow me and there's nothing that's that's off limits he says you're either all in or you're not in you're either following or you're not but with jesus there's there's no hesitation there's no uh There's no reluctance. There's no, I guess. It says, follow me or don't. But count the cost. Don't begin to follow and then drop away. Follow and and persevere and and know that it's going to cost you. There's going to be sacrifice in following me, but it's going to be so worth it. I'm all in or I'm not in. And it's time to be all in. Ballin. You're going to be living rich. If you're following Jesus, it doesn't mean you're going to have a Lamborghini, but the rich life is not defined by wealth. It's defined by our proximity, our closeness to God. So we're going to close tonight um, with the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and in it we, uh, we, we pray the prayer, give us today our daily bread. That's something that Jesus taught us to pray, is to ask for what you need for today. And I remember in Matthew 6, we talked about last week, that Jesus says, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worries of its own. We'll take care of you today. We've got a, a slightly different worded um, version of the Lord's Prayer than is more traditional. And so this is in more kind of modern English. So I invite you to read it with me as we learn it together. Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. May your kingdom come and your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you. That you went all in for us, God. We want to be all in for you. Help us to, to live rich in your love and in loving you. And God, I pray for each one here, God, whatever might be uh, the dues that we're trying to pay, whether it's dealing with taxes or, or debts or, or whether, um, God, we're thinking about trying out tithing or giving uh, a percentage, God, for the first time or the first time in a long time. God, I just pray that you would guide us that you would show us what you'd have us give, that you would help us to uh, get out of debt, God, and to be responsible citizens and paying our our taxes, Lord. And I pray that each one who takes steps of faith uh, today and this week, this coming month with their finances, Lord, each one who honors you in the way that they spend their finances, Lord, please bless them. And I pray that you just abundantly bless them in many ways, but also financially provide for their every need, Lord. We know that when we we trust you with that first 10 percent that you have promised that you will provide, and we we trust that promise. We trust you, and we love you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Send us the sparks into the, Send us sparks into the night. Send us the sparks into the night. Send us the sparks into the night. Send us the sparks. has sparks into the night and thus the spark.